Well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're so glad you joined us. Uh, it was a special day. Um, we're having baptismal service, and this is something we don't do very often. Uh, very important in, in the lives of those who have made that decision, and we're so glad you're here to celebrate with us. So I picked today to talk about baptism, um, because I, on your outline, if some of you have an outline, uh, everybody's got an opinion about baptism. The funny thing, though, is your opinion mostly likely was formed by whatever church experience you had. And so if you grew up in a Catholic church, you, had, you have one opinion and method of baptism. If you grew up in a Baptist church like me, you have another opinion and method and purpose for it. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> excuse me, I thought we would discuss it this morning. Now, it can be very emotional. Um, if I say my, a certain way is right and it's different than what you believe, you, you will get defensive. I understand that. So let's try and approach this uh, objectively as possible, right? Ask God to illuminate our minds and our hearts to whatever the truth is. Now, as pastor, I get calls from time to time, not so much lately, more so in the past, would either be by a new mom or a grandmom of a, of a new child. And they'll call me up and say, can you baptize my new grandson or son or daughter, granddaughter? Well, Baptist church tradition, we don't baptize, quote unquote, uh, newborns. We don't. We'll explain why in a few minutes. Uh, but obviously, these folks aren't connected to a church or they would get their church to baptize that person. But in their belief system, it was really important that that person or that newborn be baptized. So why do all churches do baptism? I think all churches do baptism in one form or another. Well, it goes back to something Jesus said. Actually, it's the last thing he said. So that's pretty important, right? So it's in Matthew 28. And Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. So I'm leaving earth. You are my disciples. You're my followers. You're supposed to carry on my work. And you're supposed to carry it on over the whole world. All right? So share about the love of Jesus, and the person accepts that and becomes a Jesus follower. But you say, well, that should be enough, right? No. What does Jesus say next? When they come to this place in their life, their Jesus journey, they've made this decision, they've stepped across the line, then you're supposed to do what? Baptize them. Now, for most of us, or some of us at least, it's, why is that in there? What, what significance of that? It doesn't seem that important. And he said, there's a specific way I want you to do it. In the name, notice the name is singular, the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which seems plural, right? Well, we believe in what we call the Trinity, which word's not in the Bible, but it's described here. We have in three manifestations, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus saying, name of the Son, he's saying in my name. And that would be blasphemous to people for someone to say that they were God. But of course, he proved he was God by, by resurrection. And so that was the marching orders of the early church. And we're the church today. Marching orders haven't changed, right? So part of the process of being a Jesus follower pretty early on is to be baptized. So why did Jesus include that? Why is it important? Let's kind of dig in a little bit. We're going to start with a, uh, a little bit of Greek, Greek study. Most of you probably know the New Testament was written in Greek. 
Okay, so the word that we translate baptize, that was translated baptize in the Greek, it's baptizo. I figured you didn't need to know that much. But that ancient word, very common word, meant to wash, to plunge, to soak, or to dip. Now, a funny thing happened. Most of the time when the Bible's translated, you take a Greek word, for example, theos. Who knows what theos means? God. Okay, so I'm reading the Greek text, and I come across the word theos, so I translate it God. Makes sense, right? In English, it's God. In Greek, it's theos. But when they get to this word, they did something different. They didn't translate it. They transliterated it. You don't have to remember that word. It just means they created an English word out of the Greek word. And so the Greek word starts with beta. That's the second letter in the Greek alphabet. B is the second letter in the American al- or English alphabet. So we made the word baptize. It starts with a B. The second letter is alpha. First letter in the, in the, in the Greek alphabet. A is the first letter. In, and so they did that and created this word baptize out of the Greek word baptizo, which means, again, to wash, to plunge, to soak, to dip. And eventually, nobody uses the word baptize for anything else except for religious purposes, right? We don't use it in general conversation. But this word was used in general conversation. In fact, I'll give you an example. About uh, third century, there's a pickle, those of you pickle, make pickles? There's a pickle recipe that goes back to the third century, all right? And it was written in Greek. And so the author of that recipe said, you take the vegetable and you baptize it in boiling water. And then you, uses it twice, you baptize it in vinegar. And then when it dies, it goes to heaven, right? Well, no, of course not. Because it doesn't mean, have a religious meaning. It just means to, to plunge or to dip. It's also used if somebody drowns. It was used if a ship ship was to sink. It was used the same word, baptizo. So it gets a little confusing. And a little more confusing, the fact that in the New Testament, the translators sometimes translated it to wash, mostly, and sometimes they didn't. So I thought I'd give you a couple examples where they translated it, and then we'll look at examples where they didn't. Remember, again, this is a common Greek word in the New Testament age, days. So when they, we're going to find out it's the religious leaders, came from the marketplace, they did not eat unless they wash, unless they baptizo, all right? So you're out shopping, you're coming, you're coming in to eat, and this is more than just washing dirty hands. This is a ceremonial washing. And they observed many other traditions, such as baptizing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. That's the way it read in the Greek, right? No, washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. And this, again, is not just to clean them, but ceremonial clean them. The text goes on. So these Pharisees and religious leaders ask him, meaning Jesus, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition of baptizo, ceremonial washing? They eat without first performing this hand-washing ceremony. So, baptizo is translated wash or hand-washing in these different texts. There's one other, actually including Jesus, in Luke chapter 7. 
His host was amazed to see that Jesus sat down to eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony, the baptizo, required by Jewish custom. So, in these examples, the translators translated because it had no religious significance, uh, even though it was ceremonial. So, I put this question on your outline. How in the world, then, did this common word that means to wash take on religious meaning? So, we got to do a little bit historical study. I was a history major. I love history. Most of you maybe are indifferent to history. This, I think, is fascinating. So, back about 400 B.C., before Christ, in Jewish communities, people would, that were non-Jewish would come to Jerusalem or some, uh, interact with Jewish people and say, hey, I really like your religion. Uh, is there any way possible, because I wasn't born Jewish, that I can become a religious Jew? Two different things, right? And so, these religious leaders came up with a system, how people could do that. In fact, you can bring up the next slide. They asked, yeah, I want to be Jewish. What did I do? So if you're a male and it involved uh, painful surgery, called circumcision, right? So if you weren't a Jew and you wanted to become a Jew, that was required. You had to learn, especially the uh, first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament, trust, the law. You had to memorize some of it. Eventually, we'd have to do an animal sacrifice. But there was one other part that was really interesting. It was called a ceremonial cleansing. Now, this ceremonial cleansing, though, was done privately, and you did it to yourself. So I would go to my home, and I would do the ceremonial cleansing. Nobody else was there. I just did it to myself. Okay, forward until 400 years to the time of Jesus. And this, this had went on for hundreds of years. And so this guy, this preacher, kind of odd-looking preacher, shows up in, the, uh, in, in uh, the countryside, and uh, we know him as John, right? And John had a, a message, and we'll talk about his message, and then he had followers. So later on, we come across the text where a debate happened between John's disciples or followers and a certain Jew. Now, what was this debate over? It was over baptizo, or ceremonial, uh, not baptizo, but ceremonial cleaning we were talking about, right? It was required to become a Jew, because John was doing what? He was doing something called baptizo. So let's go back to where John shows up. He's a preacher, a messenger of God, was John, and we have nicknamed him the baptizer, right? He was in the wilderness and preached that people should be baptized, baptizo, there it is, not translated, transliterated, to show that they had repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. So what was John saying? Okay, you're, you're a good Jew. You go to the temple. Uh, you give offerings. Uh, <clears throat> but that's not enough. That's stuff you can do externally. What's really important is internally, what's in the heart. And he said, you've got to get your heart right. You've got to uh, repent of your sin. Be sorry for your sin. Try and not sin. Right. So that was his message. And he said, if you're ready to do that, if you're ready to commit to confessing your sins and repenting, then I want to baptize you. All right? 
which they kind of understood because of this uh, cleansing, but nobody had ever done it in public and nobody had ever done it for some, to somebody else. It was a private thing done to yourself. This is a whole new concept. So the text goes on. All of Judea, including all the people of Jerusalem, went out to see and hear John. He was pretty popular. At least he, got, <laughs> he had publicity, right? And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. So again, this is something new. It had never been done before. Uh, John did it. And as we said, we, we nicknamed him. Am I still on? We nicknamed him um, John the Baptizer. We could say John the Washer, John the Dipper, John the, you know, uh, Mercer, the John, whatever. Because he didn't translate the word. So what it signified, when you let John do this to you, that you accepted his message. You believed it. You're committing your life to being uh, a repentant Jew. But why? Why did John insist that after you did this, if you repented of your sin, that you'd have to do this thing in the water we call baptism? Why did John insist that people be baptized? Good question, right? So he said, even if you do the external things, and even if you do the internal things of repenting, that's not enough. If you really are repentant, you need to let other people know. You need to tell other people or show other people. And the way he did it was, okay, there's a crowd of people around. If you walk down into the Jordan River next to John and let John baptize you, everybody that was watching knew what? That they had repented of their sin and believed in the message of John. So I put that on your outline. Why did John insist? To make their commitment to go public. Now, I don't know about you, when I read the Bible sometimes, man, I wish I was there. Uh, maybe it was when David killed Goliath or something. I don't know. I don't think I wanted to be there the day of the crucifixion of Jesus. I'd love to have been there in the first Easter. Maybe you would have too. But there's another time that I would have loved to have been there. And that's what happens next to John the baptizer. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, sacrificing of a lamb happened every day at the temple for the sins of the people, the Jewish people. John is saying, this is Jesus. Basically, he's saying, this is the Messiah. He now is going to be the sacrifice for sin and take away the sin of the world. Now, we don't see this term lamb of God much in the New Testament, except for one place. Anybody know where it is? Shows up ten times in the book of Revelation. It's fascinating. Uh, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And so, Jesus is coming to John. Why is he coming to John? Well, we're going to find out. So Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan, that's the next text, to be baptized by John. So he wants to be baptized. That's why he's there. Right? He could be there to argue with him. He could be there to do something else. But no, he came there to be baptized. But John tried to talk him out of it. Why? Well, he says, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. I'm the one that needs to repent. Jesus didn't need to repent. He hadn't sinned, right? So he asked a simple question that I would have asked too. Why are you coming to me? What was Jesus' response? 
He says, but Jesus says, it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. I must be obedient. And so John agrees to baptize him. But it's still a little confusing, isn't it? So I put on the outline, why does Jesus insist on being baptized? I came up, I thought was some of the reasons. For one, he was confirming the message of John because anybody that let John baptize him was saying, we believe that you, you have the truth. I, I need to repent of my sin. And so Jesus was confirming John and his followers, his theology. Secondly, I think is as an example. You ever hate it when people say, don't do what I do, do what I say? So Jesus could have said, oh, you all need to be baptized, but I'm not going to do it. So no, he got baptized. So you and I have no excuse. If he did it as our example, we should do it, right? Of course, the other logical thing that happened was Jesus began his ministry after this. It signified the beginning of his ministry. Now, another fascinating thing happened about 25 or 30 years later. Paul started a lot of churches. We call him this missionary. And he was in Ephesus one day, and he came across some people. Again, 25, 30 years later, he came across some people that had been baptized by John or by John's baptism. So here's the encounter. It's in Acts chapter 19. Then when the baptism, he asked them the question, then what baptism did you experience? So these are some people that probably were uh, attracted to Paul and his message. And they replied, the baptism of John. John's, and he said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin, which was true. But John himself told the people to do what? Believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. So we call John the forerunner, right? He's kind of the setup man for Jesus. But they hadn't gotten to Jesus. They only got to John. So what did they do? Well, as soon as they heard this, text goes on, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is fascinating, right? They were baptized in the baptism of John, and now they're going to be baptized again or rebaptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, some of us, including myself, have been baptized more than once. Um, I was baptized, I was told I was baptized by my parents when I was a baby, right? They sprinkled some water in my head. Of course, I don't remember that. I had nothing to do with that. And then as a teenager uh, in a Baptist church, I accepted the message of Jesus, and they baptized me the way we're going to do it this morning. But later on as an adult, I began to believe that that baptism then was more out of peer pressure than true belief. And so as an adult, I asked my pastor to baptize me again. So I've actually been baptized three times, if you want to call that first one, a baptism. All is to say that there's several of you, especially if you grew up in a tradition where they sprinkle babies that have been baptized more than once. So baptism, on your outline, was a symbol of identification with someone and their message. So the baptism of John was identification with John and his message of repentance. Of course, ours is with Jesus. So it was an act of submission to that person and their message, or an act of obedience. It's also an act that unites us. 
as Jesus followers. We're all baptized, right? It unites us. And it unites us in another way. It unites us with, with, with Jesus. Um, people baptize different ways, and we're going to show you the way we baptize, but we have a specific reason why we baptize that way. Jesus was, uh, died and was buried. How do we bury people? Face up, right? Jesus was baptized. He was buried face up. They didn't cover him with dirt. He was in a cave or, or whatever. We covered people up with dirt. But then he was resurrected up, right? So symbolic of us dying to our old life, our life of without Jesus, and being resurrected to a new life, a life of following Jesus. And so that's why we baptize backwards, once, under the water, and then resurrect that person. So on your outline, Jesus wants to see the result of the decision on the inside to be displayed on the outside. And that's what we believe happens at the time of, of baptism. So I'm going to summarize it real quickly. Baptism is first a public declaration of a new association. Right? So I wasn't associated with Jesus. I wasn't connected with Jesus before. But now I've made a declaration of relationship or faith in Jesus Christ. And I want people to know, so I'm going to do it publicly. Uh, these baptisms will be videoed and put online so people all over the world can see it. I don't know if that makes it scary to some of the candidates. But it will be. The whole world can see. But that's pretty cool, right? Secondly, it's a personal declaration of a new association. You personally have made this decision. A newborn baby can't do that, right? So you've come to a place in your life where you said, yes, I want to be a Jesus follower. I accept his gift of salvation, his payment for my sins, so I don't have to pay for him, and then I can spend eternity with him in heaven when I die. So I'm personally making that decision. Nobody made it for me. My parents didn't make it for me. Nobody else. I decided. It's personal. And the third thing is, it's not a condition of salvation. And if some of you here are from Catholic background or still Catholic, um, we don't believe, uh, your church does believe that, but we don't believe that. And that's why we're not concerned about babies or even children, because baptism isn't required to get in heaven. Let me give you an example. The guy who died on the cross next to Jesus that he said he would see in later in paradise. Did they take him down and baptize him before he got there? Nah, he would probably only live another 10, 20 minutes. So baptism, as we think of it, is not required for salvation or to get into heaven when we die. But what is it? It's a point of obedience. It's evidence that you are submitting yourself to Lord Jesus Christ, that you are uh, being obedient. Our church, we do something that a lot of churches don't do. Um, I just mentioned, we videotape people's testimony. So I'll put on your outline a question, and we'll be finished here in a minute. Why do we strongly encourage a video testimony? In fact, in recent years, I don't think we've baptized anybody. But we did because the opportunity came up, and two people got the testimonies just done after the baptism. But they agreed to do it. We just didn't do it ahead of time. So why? Why do we do that? 
Well, one reason is because people are afraid to talk when they're in the pool. <laughs> but um, to encourage people to go public with their commitment to follow Jesus. Like I said, the whole world's going to know in a few minutes or whenever it's posted that you've committed to following Jesus. Now, the neat thing for us that are watching is my faith grows when I see these commitments. My faith grows when I hear these testimonies of what God's doing in this person's life and what God's doing in that person's life. And I'm sure yours will too. And we get pushed back, and I know at least one person refused to do it. And my pushback would be, Jesus died for you? I think this is not too much to ask. The other thing is, I truly believe when you hear these testimonies, there's somebody here that needs to hear. Somebody here that needs to hear? Yeah. Somebody here that needs to hear the testimony of one or more of these candidates. So, finish up this way. If you're thinking, you know what? To obey Jesus, I need to or I want to be baptized. We're here to help make that possible. Just let us know afterwards, okay? And next steps, next steps for us as a church is this. Uh, as these candidates' church family, it is our privilege as well as our responsibility to encourage them in their Jesus journey, especially because three of them are not adults yet. And that's exciting. Someone's got baptized or saved and kind of, I don't say wasted that early life, but you missed spending that early life with Jesus. Well, they won't. They'll have Jesus with them from early life. So let me pray with you, and we'll have a song, and then we'll observe our baptism. Father God, uh, thank you so much for Jesus and what he's done for us. And I thank you that uh, you don't want secret agent Christians. You want people that are willing to share their faith. And one of the, the, the awesome, powerful ways we can do that is by submitting in obedience to Jesus after we stepped across that line to be baptized. So God, we thank you for these four, actually all ladies, these four ladies that are making that decision, that commitment to just now. And we pray as a church that we, especially for these three younger ones, that we will encourage them and support them in an important part of growing up with Jesus. So God, we continue to, to uh, turn the service over to you. Let your spirit speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen.